Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Good. No, you can do better than that. It's Christmas time. Jeez. Everybody doing good? Having a good Christmas season so far? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, now, before we get started, I do want to give you guys an update. Um, last week, we received our very first harvest offering. And as you remember, um, we talked about the harvest offering. This is money that came in um, that we asked. They said we're going to receive this, and all this money is going out. It doesn't pay our bills, doesn't pay salaries, doesn't pay for anything in this church. It is 100% going out into the community, whether it's to schools or missionaries. And um, we, we don't know exactly where it's going to go yet, but we know that we're not keeping it. Um, 100% is going away. And so we received that last week, and I wanted to give you guys an update on where we are at so far. Um, now, for me... I remember when I'm talking with Stephanie, who said, hey, what are you expecting? And I was like, I, I had my number in mind. Like, this is, this is, if I think if we hit this number, it'd be a grand slam. And let me tell you, the generosity of this church blew me away to my grand slam turned into like five grand slams with what you guys gave. So our one week total on the harvest offering, $19,088. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, when, when I got that number, I about hit the floor when I was at home. I, I got real excited, and I'm still real excited as I talk about it. Just the, this is money, I mean, who knows what God is going to do with this. This is really, really cool and really exciting to think of all the different opportunities and availabilities and needs that may come up throughout the year that we get to say, Celebration Church gets to help with that. We get to be a part of this. We get to go reach people because of your generosity. So thank you guys so much to everyone who gave to the Harvest Offering. We're going to be receiving this offering throughout the rest of the year. So um, if, maybe if you're online and you haven't given to it yet, or you're sitting here and you haven't given to it yet, if you'd like to, there are envelopes in the back that have a sticker on it that say Harvest Offering. Make sure if you want to give it to the Harvest Offering, you put it in that envelope so it gets where it needs to go. Or if you want to give online, if you go to um, ccpualup.com, there's a button that says Give, and one of the drop-down things says Harvest Offering. So you can still give to that, and um, I'm just I'm really really excited to see what God is going to do and what a blessing we can be because of your generosity and because of God in our lives. So thank you everyone for that. I'm real real excited. Again, that that number floored me, and I can't wait to see what it's going to be and what God's going to do through it the rest of the year. Would you uh, pray with me as we uh, get started this morning? Uh, God, you are so good. And I thank you so much for what you're doing here, what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in this church's life, and uh, what we get to do because of you. God, I pray today that as we, as we talk again about a week number two on, of Advent in the Christmas season, that uh, we welcome your peace. As we, uh, I, I pray that your peace fills this place, and I pray that you give us a better understanding of how we can apply your peace in our lives. So we thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Now, how many of you guys, I think I asked this last week, how many of you guys would say Christmas is, of all holidays, this is your number one? This is the season where you are, you are all in. All right. Um, I love Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the lights. Um, our house in California was really small, and so we had one tree that could only be five feet tall. We had low ceilings and everything, and, and the house we got here has really, really tall ceilings, and it's, it's bigger than our California house. So my wife jumped on the opportunity to not get one tree, but like five trees. And I, I think that the, the office has a tree, and the downstairs has a tree, and the girls' room has a tree, and I think our bedroom's getting a tree at some point. Yeah, there, there's trees everywhere now. And um, it's, it's much fun. It's, that's what Katie was talking about, and I love it. I absolutely love that. Um, you know, tr truth, during the week when kids are in their classes jumping up and down in preschool, sometimes I go and I jump up and down in the preschool with the kids. I, I love it. But um, Chris Christmas is fun. It, it brings out so much joy and so much, so much happiness. And did you know that in Finland, Christmas is a really big deal? 
And I mean, it is a really, really big deal. There's a great tradition that happens there every year, and it's happened every year since the 1300s. A serious tradition. It's called the Declaration of Christmas Peace. Is anyone familiar with Finland's Declaration of Christmas Peace? It's, uh, it's really cool and scary at the same time. So here's what it says. Um, every year at noon on Christmas Eve, the Christmas peace is declared in the city of Turku. A proclamation is read, usually by the city official, from the balcony of historic mansion at the center of the old Great Square. It's on the radio. It's on TV. This is a big deal. It's a reminder to spread encouragement in the holiday season to all the people in Finland. And it also, in the same declaration of joy and peace, offers down ridiculous punishment for people who break happiness and peace in Christmas time. This is what the proclamation reads. It says, Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful declaration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, and thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all, by advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. Because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall, un shall under aggravating circumstances be guilty and punished according to what the law and statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast wished to all inhabitants of the city. Wow, right? It's like, Merry Christmas, don't you dare break this. Or else, it is read out loud to remind people that peace has begun. Peace is here. Advise them to spend it in a festive period in harmony. And then it threatens all the offenders. Harsh punishments for anyone who dares gets in the way of Christmas joy. Don't mess with the fins at Christmas, right? You will be dealt with harshly. But, but I love what the line says at the beginning. A great way to usher in Christmas, they, from a historic building, on TV, on the radio, recognize for the whole city, tomorrow we recognize the birth of Christ. That is such a cool thing for a city to publicly say for all to hear. If you've been journeying with us uh, through, through this past week or so, we've been talking about Advent and bringing in the Christmas season. And Advent is a quick recap. It means coming or arrival. We talked about how Advent isn't just now, but we celebrate what was, what is, and what is coming, looking ahead to Jesus' return. And the season is marked by expectation. It's marked by waiting. It's marked by all the anticipation. And I know when we think of Christmas, um, I think of my, my daughter. She told us, I think it was yesterday, Aurora goes, I'm setting my alarm for 6 in the morning on Christmas. And I was, I, was, I was at that point ready to tell her, well, you want the truth about Santa? You know, because I was like, you're not setting an alarm at 6 a.m. But it's all about expectation, and I think when it comes to Christmas, we can all dive into the expectation and the excitement for what Christmas morning brings. But Advent is not just an extension. Like I said, it links past, present, and future. It offers us the opportunity to, to share in the ancient longing that people had for Jesus, and then to welcome in the longing we still have for his return. Advent looks back at the celebration of hope that was fulfilled in Jesus' coming, at the same time looking at the hope of his return. Now, during Advent, we wait for both. Remember, it's an active, assured, hopeful waiting. And each week through Advent, we're focusing on a different word for the Advent week that's represented in the coming of Jesus. Last week was hope. This week is peace. Next week will be joy, and then we'll talk about love. Now, each of these traits leads us into the rediscovery of Christmas, really, really rediscovering what this means for us in the midst of a crazy, plague-ridden, pandemic, political world that we're in. And if you're with us today, whether in person or online, I hope today you get to rediscover the peace of the Christmas season and what it means for us. And through this, we're looking at different biblical uh, characters in the Christmas story and seeing how they encountered the arrival of Jesus. Last week, we talked about Simeon and Anna and how they were promised the hope of seeing the Messiah and how that God fulfilled his promise and they got to see Jesus when he was a boy in the temple. Now, when we think of peace in the Christmas story, I know me personally, I can't help think of the shepherds. 
the shepherds being the unlikely recipients of God's message of peace. When you think of the Christmas story, uh, we're going to read Luke's account of the shepherds together in Luke chapter 2, but but you don't don't often think of shepherds as being the, the focal point of the Christmas story, right? You often think of pomp and circumstance and the king is coming and how big this is going to be. And that does happen in a way in the sky with the angels, but it happens to the most unlikely group of people ever to receive this news that Jesus was born. <clears throat> I love Luke's passage. It's almost poetic in scripture. And I think that you know a lot of us, when we think of this passage, some of us even start thinking of Charlie Brown Christmas. I love Charlie Brown Christmas when Linus stands up and he reads this passage or he just recites it and he says, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I love that TV still shows that passage, that that is what Christmas is all about. But long before TV was imagined, this is what happens in the book of Luke, starting in chapter 2, verses eight, starting in verse 8 through 20. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those with whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I love that passage. The start of the greatest love story, the redemption story ever. And there's so much in these. To begin, we have God's birth announcement to the world. And what a way to announce what had happened in such an unexpected way. This long-awaited, anticipated event in such an unexpected way. Suddenly, in the middle of a dark and ordinary night in Bethlehem, a silent night like we just sang about, an angel appears in the sky. That angel delivers a great message. And suddenly that angel appears with a multitude of angels. And the New Living Translation actually refers to this as the armies of heaven. I love that. It's hard to imagine just how bright and terrifying and glorious and beautiful this must have been at the same time, right? And then the sound of all this music and the angels just screaming triumphantly that Jesus is here, singing, declaring that the God of heaven had sent his son, peace on earth, had finally come. I wonder what language they were singing in, how many languages they were singing in. Did anybody else hear them? What what was the harmonies? What were the melodies? I mean, your mind can go crazy thinking about how magnificent this must have been. And this grand announcement, it's amazing to show that this is something you put on for the VIPs. This is something that you show up to the, the king. This is something that you would think King Herod's there, and an angel says, hey, Herod, guess what, buddy? The new king is here, and the angels are now singing to him. It wasn't for the kings and queens, though. It wasn't for the political leaders, It was for the shepherds, the completely ordinary, average Joe, night shift working, animal stinking, crazy, 49er loving people that nobody cared about, right? This was them. This was the shepherds, but this was the message, and God chose them. I think it's another scene of how we see God perfectly flipped the script on what we would expect to give us his plan instead on how he's going to save the world. But this whole experience leaves us, and I remember, it, it makes me wonder, why shepherds? 
Why, why would he choose the lowest of lows, the, the, the outcasts, the people that were superstitious, living out there? But, I mean, when shepherds were known for telling ghost stories, and these are the people that God says, I'm going to tell them first what has just happened to Bethlehem. Why the shepherds? And I think it's because shepherds tie so many biblical things together. When you look through scripture, first we see that shepherds remind us that the patriarchs of Israel were shepherds. The very first people that God gives his promise to, Abraham, the original recipient, recipient of God's covenant, that he would bless all the nations of the world, that you're going to be the father of our faith, the nations are going to come from you, he was a shepherd. God chose a shepherd. This promise was then carried on through Abraham's ancestors, Isaac, Jacob, and beyond. David, Israel's greatest king, what were his roots? He was a shepherd. God chooses shepherds to do so many amazing things. And I think when he chose the angels to come down and say, I want you to tell these shepherds first, it was a great reminder of all the great things that had been started with shepherds in Scripture. God consistently chooses people that are the outcast, people that are the lowest of lows, people that say the world has cast these people off. He says, you know what? I get to use you. I'm going to use you to do amazing things that no one would ever believe started and came from you. Shepherds were the everyman. They were nothing special. They had no entitlement. There was no pride. There was no arrogance. They had nothing really to brag about. No religious bloating. They fit right into the mold of God introducing his son, the Messiah, a humble carpenter. And then also in the mold of, of Jesus' earthly parents, a carpenter and a peasant girl to be, to, be the, to be the parents of the Son of God. Birth in a lowly stable, surrounded by animals, rough and rugged shepherds out in the fields on the edge of the more refined civilization. These, these are the have-not people. These are examples of God raising and using the humble and turning them, making people, using them to make people say, what is happening over here? What, what really is going on here? These, these nobodies are announcing the greatest news in the world? I love how God orchestrates that. Those considered by, in society to be the, the most holy weren't given a place in the stable to kneel on holy ground and witness the, the arrival of the Messiah. It was the shepherds. The shepherds also signify that Jesus' future ministry and teaching. All throughout scripture, Jesus refers to us as what? Sheep. That he is the shepherd. Sheep may have been lowly animals, but man, they were a very, very special animal in Jewish culture. They were, they were livelihood. They were innocent. They were pure. This was a symbol of wealth in some of, the, in some of their areas. The Passover lamb was a sacrifice that a Jew would make during the most important holiday, the Passover. The blood was the atonement for a person's sins, the cost that had to be paid to restore someone's relationship with God. And each time it was done, the sacrifice was a reminder of the original Passover when Moses had freed the people from Egypt, when they had to put the blood of the lamb on the doorstep and the angel would literally pass over their house and spare their family. Every time a lamb was sacrificed, this would go through their heads. This is valuable. This is important. This is a sheep. This is a lamb. It is important. You and I know that Jesus was entering the world. He fulfilled his identity as the Lamb of God by dying on the cross for us. He came to take away the sin, and his death was the ultimate sacrifice for that, for the payment of our sins. <clears throat> his resurrection, his resurrection, nothing else, nothing else we could ever do, but his resurrection alone makes it possible for us to have our slate wiped clean, to be able to live in eternity with him in heaven. His life made it possible to experience that true peace. That true shalom, as they call it in Hebrew, the language and culture, the word that it concepts and encapsulates the completeness and the wholeness of God's creation is that shalom, that peace that he is as the Lamb of God. 
And I think, <coughs> excuse me, it's partly for these reasons that God sent his angelic messengers to be the voice of the announcing of Jesus to the shepherds. I think it certainly reminds us that, that our standards and what we may view as, as success, what we may view as a, this is me at the pinnacle of my life, this is what is important, that is totally different when God looks at it and says, this is what's important. This is what matters to me. Because by all standards, these shepherds were not the pinnacle of society. They were the exact opposite. They were the lows. And God says, that's who gets to see it first. Not just the ones that get to hear it first. They got to go see it first. God didn't say, shepherds, here's what's going on. All right, royalty, come check it out. Shepherds, now get in line. He was, you go see. And then the world got to know. And the shepherds got to be the ones that got to spread the word. I love it. God's favor is on those who humbly acknowledge their brokenness. They accept the gifts of hope and peace and joy and the love that Jesus brings. See, peace is not based on class or position or occupation, but it's on God's purpose and his design to bring good news that will cause great joy for who? For all people. For all people. I think the shepherds also lead us into several insights about our own interactions with God's peace. Peace comes it's many different times in our life. And I think we see here that peace comes in the midst of our storms. Peace will come in the midst of your storms. Have you ever, has anyone here ever actually experienced a hurricane? Been somewhere in a hurricane? I, I've never been in a hurricane, but I, I've watched lots of movies and I see, you know, I've seen like The Rock save people from hurricanes and stuff. But, but um, what I know about hurricanes is they talk about the eye of the storm. And even the, the hurricane charts will talk about the eye. In the eye of the storm, you can see it on the uh, weather radar, that it's the circling, but right in the center is this incredible calm, which is bizarre when you think about it. Because that's the center of the storm, the eye of the storm, but it is calm, a true stillness at the center of this massive force of nature. But in the center, the winds are calm, the rains have ceased, it's a pause. It's temporary. It doesn't last because that, that eye moves, and if you stay right there for too long, the wind starts to shift and everything starts to go crazy again, and often in a hurricane, the opposite direction. But it's kind of like those freeze-frame moments in movies, you know, when, when the, the lead character in a movie has that moment where everything around him just starts to pause, and they start to realize all the things. Or I, I love watching um, murder mysteries and things, movies that involve an investigation, when, and when you get that montage of all of a sudden where the, the lead detective starts figuring it out. Like, the world around them pauses, and you get to go in their head, and you see everything making sense. It's like that moment where everything just stops for a second. That pinprick in reality where everything around you freezes for just a moment of clarity. Now, thinking of that, let me ask you this. How is your Christmas season really going so far? How is Christmas going? How does your Christmas season typically go? I know there, there's some people that have posted, I've seen online, they've been like, hey, Christmas shopping is done. And they posted that before Thanksgiving. And then you know the people that the week of Christmas, what are they doing? Going crazy, right? It, it turns into a real-life version of Schwarzenegger's movie Jingle All the Way, right? You're going for that one toy, and you are just attacking everybody to get this toy or what it is for Christmas. But if, if we're all honest about Christmas, sometimes these words may come into our, come into our, um, our, our life. You may have words like busy. Then it may turn into how's your Christmas season? It's hectic. My season is frantic. Maybe it's not just this time of the year. Maybe those words describe a lot of your life throughout the entire year. Maybe it's an overloaded schedule that causes you in this season just a lack of peace. Work decides to ramp it up. Maybe work's ramped it up for a while now and you don't have any peace in sight. Something, maybe your schedule is robbing you of peace. Maybe it's something a little more. Maybe you have a relational conflict that is just robbing you of peace. 
Something when you put your head down at night, you just start thinking, man, it's this family member, it's this friend. There's something in life that is just robbing me of this ability to relax, this ability to find peace. Maybe it's pressure at work. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's an illness. You know someone who has COVID. Maybe you're going through COVID. Your house is going through COVID. And um, you, you just, you, you're robbed of this ability to just relax and have some peace. We have plenty of options to choose from this year and this past couple years on things that have robbed us of peace, whether it's COVID, work, politics, riots, communities. There's just so much that we feel like if we look at our years, we can say, man, my year, my two years have not been peaceful. A good idea, a nice thought for the holidays, though, would be to have a holiday that's full of peace. For some of us, it sounds too far off. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. But I want to encourage you that Jesus shows up in the middle of the storm all the time. Jesus shows up in the middle of when we need that peace, when we're totally just broken down and saying, man, this life is just ripping me apart. That's where Jesus is. He's right there in the middle of it all. He's there with us when it seems that, that, that love has lost its way and the way forward is totally unclear. He quite literally shows up in storm a couple times in Scripture, literally in the storm. One time he's walking on the storm. That's bizarre when you think about it. The waves are crashing, the people are freaking out, and in comes Jesus walking on the water in the storm. And another time he's sleeping in the storm. It's no big deal. Everyone else, both, in both of those stories, there's a consistent theme. The disciples are freaking out. Both times, and both times we see Jesus do it in two different ways. One time he's walking, the other time he's sleeping. I think he's showing us a wide range right there of, this is not that big a deal. I can do whatever I want in the storm, guys. Quit freaking out. But in Mark 4.39, we see the story of him taking a nap. The disciples thought they were going to die. They're going to drown. The boat, they feel like, is breaking. They're throwing things overboard, and Jesus is napping. They wake him up, but I love what Mark 4.39 says. It says this, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. I like to picture Jesus looking at him and going, can I go back to bed now, guys? Like, are, are you good? But I love it. He just comes up in the middle of their chaos. Literally, they thought they were going to die. Jesus says three words, and suddenly life is good. Everything is fine. Sometimes our lives, we are in the middle of that storm. And I don't want to discredit anything anyone's going through because if the disciples thought they were going to die, I know for some of us in our lives, things we're going through right now can literally make us feel like we're going to die. We literally cannot see out of the moment, but I want to encourage you, Jesus is in that storm. He may be right there saying, peace, just calm down, I've got this. This is where God appears in the middle of all this. This is, this is where Christ the child is born, in the middle of a storm. This is where the angels showed up, in the middle of Israel's darkest night. Roman oppression, centuries of suffering, centuries of wondering, God, where are you? I can imagine the people even saying this. They, God had, they haven't had a prophet for years. No one is talking about God, and people are wondering, the Messiah is coming. God, where are you? Now's the time. We need someone to turn this world upside down, to save us. And in the middle of an upside-down world, a young Jewish couple found themselves at the center of cosmic events. All at the same time, think of the storm they were in. They're trying to navigate now normal-life realities of paying their dues by traveling foot across the country with a very pregnant wife to be counted by the government. A word we all love to hear right now, right? Because of the government. And having to experience childbirth for the first time, her first child away from her home, away from her support system, away from the care of the women and midwives who probably guided Mary through this process to this point, 
they're nowhere to be seen. And then they're going to be first-time parents, not only with the joys and wonders and fears and responsibilities of having their first son, but God's son. I can't imagine the pressure they must have felt. And for any people who've had kids out there, you know what I mean. When you have, when you have your firstborn kid, I know that when, when I first held Aurora in my arms, the love that I felt was like, this is my daughter. And then the, oh, I hope I don't mess this up. Right, the, the, the pressure of wanting to be the best dad in the world. I think I'm nailing it so far. But, you know, just I, I want to be the best dad. And I can't imagine the pressure of if I had to do that with nobody that I knew around me. It's the pressure they're on right now. This is Jesus being born in the middle of a storm of these two people's lives, in the storm of Israel, of what's going on. But in all these circumstances, in all these struggles, this is where God shows up. This is where he continues to show up for you, where he continues to show up for me. In our pain, in our fears, in our confusion, in our grief, in our loss, in our uncertainty, this is where Jesus shows up. I don't know every hardship you're facing today or every wince of pain you're feeling, but I know God does. He feels every hurt that you have. He feels every emotion that you have. He knows and know that he is there bringing peace to calm your heart, a peace that defies all circumstances, a peace that makes no sense. And that's the great thing about peace. Peace defies our circumstances. Peace totally does. It might be, it, that, that's great for you to say, you know, as I talk about the things you're going through and I don't know, I know there are some people that, that even think that. You say, you know what, you know what, Pastor? That sounds great. It sounds great saying in the middle of this piece is there, but I just don't know. I can't see it right now. And I get it. You might be thinking to me, Dustin, you've never gone through this. You don't know how much this hurts. And all I can say is those moments is, you're right. I don't know how much this hurts. There are people that have shared a lot of things with me, not just from this church, but just being a pastor in general. A lot of people share things with me, things they're going through in life. And I can honestly say, I don't know your pain. I don't, because I've, I've never gone through some of those things. I can only imagine how it feels. I can only imagine how it hurts. But I can encourage you that there is a peace that is deeper than your pain. There is a peace that defies that circumstance. There is a peace that, that looks at you and says, there is no way in the world I should be feeling peace in the middle of everything going on right now. But it's a promise in Scripture that we get that peace. In the face of all you're feeling, in the face of all you've gone through, God's peace doesn't make sense sometimes. It absolutely does not make sense, but it's real, and it's healing, and it can guard your heart from continuing wounds. It can guard your heart from bitterness. It can protect your mind from the onslaught of anxiety. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul says it like this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. I can't even tell you how many times in our household that has been the verse. That has been the verse that's got us through so many different things. When we say, we know what, God? In the middle of all this, we can still trust that you're here. And we can trust that you're going to bring a calmness to our anxiety, a calmness to our nerves, because we know that you're good. We know that we're doing our best to follow you. We know you're in control, so you can give us peace as we navigate through this. And I would encourage all of you guys today, no matter what you're facing, let this process begin. Turn to God. Bring your hearts, bring your questions, bring your doubts to him. Bring it all to him. And as Paul says, in every situation, not just when it gets too hard, not in just the really, really deep ones, not the ones you think you can just handle by yourself, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
I, I'm not going to pretend to fully understand it, but I know there is a power in prayer that's a transformation that grows from this gratitude that we've talked about for the past, this past month that transcends into this peace that comes from God. It's not the power of getting what we want. You know, God is not Santa Claus, right? It's not the power of convincing God to see things our way. We can try, but I don't think you're going to change God's mind when it comes to those, right? But more than that, the power of prayer happens with the experience of peace as our perspective changes. And the more we pray for God's peace, I think the more he starts to allow our mind to see things from his perspective. And we can see, you know what, God? In my earthly view, this is the worst thing in the world. But in your heavenly view, this is just a bump. This is just a bump that he can get you through, and he allows us to have peace as we navigate through it. We can accept his acknowledgement, accept his path, and trust that he is enough. And third, know that peace is not just a verse. Peace is not just a feeling. Peace is a person. Peace is a person. It all comes back to this person. Peace is Jesus. Peace is 100% Jesus. Ephesians 2.14, Paul writes this, for he himself is our peace. Long before his arrival on earth, the prophet Isaiah called Jesus the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah writes this. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. I think that's a verse we need to hear more and more often, especially today, right? The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You see, there, there can be political-sounding tones to this message, but it's not a political message. It really is a message all about people that, these people wanted political freedom, right? Right? The Israelites, they wanted Jesus to come down and overthrow the government. They wanted him to upturn everything. It's funny, when you think about Jesus, God sending his son to be the prince of peace, the Israelites weren't asking for peace. They were asking for war. They were saying, God, send us your son so we can go to war. We can take these people out. We can have a revolution. And Jesus comes and says, we are going to have a revolution. Totally different than what you're thinking. It's going to be peace, and it's going to be incredible. There are so many tones of completion in Christ's work and his eventual establishment of the kingdom of heaven. But most of all, this child is born. This child that was given to us brings us the power and his rule of peace in our personal lives. Not just political, not just government, not just out in the world. It brings a peace personally in our lives. He's the bringer of peace between us and God, the sacrificial lamb, the giver of life. He is the embodiment of shalom, and we find this relationship with him. I'd like to invite the worship team back up this morning. <clears throat> I'd like to uh, close with, with this. Know that Jesus is the God who came to be with us. Jesus is the God who came to be with us. He offers us this invitation in this Advent season as always. Matthew 11, listen to this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that an incredible offer of peace? Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. That doesn't mean he's going to snap his fingers and your problem's gone. There's going to be stuff we got to do. When we ask for God's peace, he doesn't say, hey, just lay down and go to bed. I'll take care of everything. He calls us to action. He calls us to do things, but we get to have this peace knowing he's in control. This peace that says, I'm going to take care of these problems. Let's do this. I've got your back. I'm with you. 
Find your rest in me. Let me give you peace. In this second week of Advent, let me encourage you all now, look for the Prince of Peace. When the winds are blowing against you, when work has beaten you down, when the storm is swirling, or you even feel like you're in the eye of the storm, you know that you've got to take an action, but as soon as you step out of the eye of that storm, you're going to step right back into that winds. You know it's coming. Look for peace. Look for Jesus in that storm. Look for that man walking on that water. Look for that man that's sleeping because he knows it's not a big deal. He's got this. We've got this because we've got him. Let Jesus be your peace this week. Let him guard your soul with peace. Let your spirit be filled with the wholeness of shalom and rule with God. Let him rule, the prince of peace. Let him rule in your heart. I'll close with this verse. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. May the Lord of peace give himself, you, give you peace at all times and in every way. Not just in some ways. Not just in a couple ways. Not just when you really, really need it. In every way. Let God be your peace. Let Jesus be your peace. Let him guard your heart in the midst of your trials. Would you stand with me? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are our peace God, I pray that this Christmas season, um, as, we, as we do our shopping, as we prepare for family, whether for, for each of us, that could be a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> with family coming. I pray that in the midst of all of it, midst of work, families, chaos, we find you in it. We find you walking on the storm because storms can't take you down. We find you napping with us right there because it's not that big a deal. God, and we know that you get to stand up and give us this peace that we don't understand, this peace we can't comprehend because it comes from you, a peace that doesn't make sense, but we do know that it's you and that it's good. So God, I pray that in this season, we find that hope, we find that peace, we find that joy, we find that love, and we focus all on you as we offer ourselves you and ask for your peace. So God, we thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.